Welcome to the Enlightening Motherhood Podcast. Here you will find a non-judgmental community offering support to mothers raising children with extra challenges. This community was created for you to empower moms who love their children deeply, but are also feeling frustrated, overwhelmed, or just plain stressed out. We are the place for moms who are sometimes feeling at the end of their rope and are looking for hope and light. Join us as we help you enlighten motherhood. Hello everyone, it's Emily. I'm thrilled to have a special guest on our show today who's going to give expert advice on how to reduce stress at mealtimes and also how to handle picky eaters. Now, I want to be completely and totally honest with you right now. I'm re-recording this intro to our conversation because when we recorded the conversation, it was 6.45 in the morning and my first few words coming out, I just sounded as tired as I was. (laughs) But as we may, and I picked up the conversation, my usual energy perked right back up. So, um, I am thrilled to have Weimei on the show, and we're going to start with her introducing herself to you. I hope you love this conversation as much as I did. Uh, Hi, everyone. My name is Weimei. I'm a life and nutrition coach for moms, and I'm a mom of three. So my kids are 10 and under, all girls, and I'm very passionate just about helping moms simplify motherhood. Specifically, I work with women though I primarily coach moms, I work with women who really struggle with people pleasing and perfectionism, getting in the way of what they want. And I focus a lot on mindset, strategy, and skills to help them just elevate their self-images, become confident, prioritizing themselves. That's always a hard thing for moms. And just to create the motherhood that they want. And that's pretty much it. I coach and I also have a podcast as well. Oh, that's I feel like we align so much with, with our goals and what we're trying to provide. So I am excited to have you on here. Um, and I have four children and several of them have ADHD. So you can imagine what our meal times are like. There's a lot of, there's just a lot going on every single time. Um, so in your opinion, why is feeding kids so stressful and chaotic for moms? I'm sure a lot of us would have reasons, but through the work that I've done, I would say that it really boils down to a few things. So to set the stage, I used to be considered a picky eater. So I've lived this. I was that child who was very sensitive, who was very um, hard. My mom would call me to work with during mealtimes. The only time I ever kept quiet was at mealtimes. So this is my life. And I also raised children who would have been considered picky and gave me a hard time at feeding. And through the work that I've done, I realized that a part of a big piece of this work is because of safety. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I think feeding kids and mealtimes is just really stressful for moms because a lot of us are under pressure. So we come into motherhood, we still haven't figured out who we are as women. And then you drop this little person or little people for us to take care of and now we're struggling with our identity as mothers and as individuals then you also bring in the societal pressure of 
or you got to raise those healthy kids. I mean, many of you can relate to when you're pregnant, people say, oh, only eat these kinds of foods. You want your child to come out, you know, with 10 fingers and 10 toes and have the perfect health and all of these. So we come with that pressure. And now this person's in front of you. And we're thinking, how do I protect this child? How do I help them to be the healthiest version of themselves? So there's that pressure. And there's also our own experiences from childhood. And I always tell my clients this, I say children and having children will trigger a lot of your insecurities. So many of us, when we have children, we go back to our history. We go back to our experience of maybe you suffered or you struggled with food insecurity. You might have struggled with a parent who was not present. So you didn't always know when food would be available. Maybe there was food, but you just didn't have the skills or the support to be able to eat properly. So a lot of these things do come up when we have children. The problem is many of us don't make that connection. So we make it mean that we don't have the skills. So we make it mean that we're wrong for our children struggling. We take that upon ourselves instead of finding solutions to help our kids and help ourselves. And then there's the big fear of not being good enough. Many of us struggle with this. You don't have to be a mom to struggle with not being good enough. But as a mom, there's that big pressure again. You look at the media, you look at social media, you read the papers, you read the stories. It's all about how to be a good mom. A good mom raises children who eat all the foods. They sit quietly at the dining table. They never fuss. They eat only vegetables and fruits. They eat only healthy foods, which I don't promote. But I'm, if you can see me, I'm using healthy here in quotes. They don't want sugar. They only eat what you give them. And that's really not true. So imagine not feeling good enough and you have all of these stories that you're running with. So then when you come to the mealtime, you're coming with all of that stress, you're coming with all of that pressure. And remember I said safety, your child senses all of that. Even if you try to pretend, they can sense that and then they feel unsafe and they will try to seek safety, which becomes chaotic at mealtimes because you're not understanding them, they're not understanding you, and it's just a recipe for disaster. So yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> you hit so many bullseyes there. We talk about this a lot, this idea that like, we don't even realize that there are these expectations from our society. And we want to, it's coming from a place of us trying to do our best, right? Like, yes. And we think that our best needs to be all of these demands that aren't really even realistic from society, or if we stop and pause, that it doesn't have to be that way. But sometimes we, it's like the subconscious parenting where we just go with whatever's in our mind. And if we stop and we piece it apart, we might realize that we could do things in a way that serve us more or serve our children more. Um, and can you explore just really quick? You say like, we make it mean that we are wrong. And I love that too, because I feel like a lot of times especially when we have like really intense kids, we think, oh no, there's this behavioral problem because I'm doing something wrong. Or there's this behavioral problem because my child has issues and this is just always going to be awful. I understand like it can be hard. <laughs> it can be hard sometimes when you have a kid who is like running up from the table every five minutes to go and lay on the couch and wipe their face. That's something that we deal with a lot. Um, like it can be hard, but that we don't have to give it this value of somebody's wrong here. We can just admit that this is hard and let's 
let's work from there. Yeah. Yeah. And you do bring up something which is really important for all our listeners, which is neutralizing the situation. So even though this is happening, you're acknowledging it is hard. And I think that's where many of us struggle because we think I should be able to handle this, right? Like having a child means I have all the skills, but listen, you were just the person like how many months ago or years ago, now you have to deal with another human. How hard is that for so many of us? So we haven't even dealt with our identity shifts, but we automatically blame ourselves for not having the skills of helping the kids at mealtime. But think about it this way. If you don't know how to ride a bike, what do you do? You go get a bike and then you probably start, you might wear a helmet. Some people might wear the shin guards or the pads on their elbows and knees. You'll fall a couple of times. Do you just get rid of it and think, well, I'm terrible. I'll never ride a bike. No, you pick yourself up. Okay, what did I do wrong? Maybe next time I should run or slow down. You start to figure things out. It's the same way with our kids. And I hear you with the challenging kids because one of my kids is highly sensitive. And one of her things was textures. So when we come to the table and we think I am wrong, right? Because I don't have the skills, other moms must be getting it right. Like we start having those narratives, I'll never learn. I'm so stupid. I, this is why things never work out. We have the subconscious running in our back in the back of our minds because of our history. And when all of that is running, it blocks us from learning. It blocks us from being vulnerable. I, this is where it's so important for us as moms to recognize that parenting and feeding kids is a vulnerable act. It requires you to just admit you know nothing, but that you can know everything by learning from the child. So when you have challenges, right? Challenges in quote, because we all have different levels depending on our children. How can you be a student of your child in those moments without letting maybe their diagnosis or whatever medical issues they may be experiencing get in the way? Yes, this is maybe what the doctor says my child is experiencing. How do I come along my child and support them by being a student? That means we get to the table, we observe what's happening. When your brain starts to wonder, this shouldn't be happening, you're like, no, it makes total sense that this is happening right now. When you make that shift, it's enough for you to get curious, right? Because now you've admitted, I don't know what's happening. How can I learn? And you start to observe. So as I was talking about my child who, was, <laughs> who had texture challenges, she would not eat foods that touched. So you can't mix anything. You can't mix, mix a sauce with a grain, none of that. And because I'm originally from Nigeria, a lot of our foods come mixed. I didn't understand this because I was like, well, why are you not eating? And what's the problem? And then I realized the more I observed her during mealtime, she would like use her finger and just like pick things out and she'll only eat the parts that sauce didn't touch. So for me, because I was willing to be curious, I came alongside her and I realized, oh, okay, well, tell me what the issue is. And then we started engaging with, okay, is this too much sauce? Is how much sauce is good enough? Do you want to do the sauce by yourself? So again, my child is a human. She is complete as she is, no matter what. I'm a human too. The best way for us to collaborate during mealtimes is to understand that she wants that autonomy to have control over what she's eating 
And I, as the parent, want to be able to support her. So by doing that, I let her take the charge, but I was guiding her. And that's how we were able to navigate her, you know, touch and sensitivity phase. Has that gone away? No, but she's a lot better at voicing what she wants. So for so many of us, I'll talk to the moms who have younger kids. Let's say they're around that toddler age, maybe starting to eat solids, still exploring. You might notice that when your baby was just, you know, maybe six months old to about a year, they mostly maybe ate what you gave them. They didn't struggle too much. They may have just adapted. But as they get older, they're becoming their own people. They're starting to discover new things. They're starting to figure out what are the boundaries, right? Like, what are the rules in this family? Is it okay to go on the table and jump while we're eating? Is it okay if I lay on the couch? Like you were saying, your little one running to the couch and wiping their face. Is it okay to do that? They're going to try to figure all of these things out. And if we're being curious, we can come alongside them and let them know in this family, this is how we eat. This is how we engage with food. Will they always listen? Maybe not. But by being patient, by being curious and thinking always, how can I support my child in this situation? It's going to help you to adjust a lot quicker and support them. Oh, I love that. I love the thought of being a student of your child. That's a great way to put it. And instead of just trying to force what we believe they should be doing to figure out what's at the root of that behavior, what's causing this behavior that I'm seeing. And instead of giving it this judgment, like, well, they're, they're not behaving in the way that I originally assumed that they should be behaving. Therefore, there's something wrong with them. Instead, just realizing like, oh, they're behaving differently than I thought. And that's okay. And now let's figure out why that's going on and how can I support them? I love those thoughts. And your idea of like, I don't know what's happening. Not like I'm going to give up. Like, I don't know what's happening. So I'm not even going to try, but I don't know what's happening, but let's try to figure it out. So it's Mm -hmm. this growth mindset instead of this giving up mindset. I really love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that too. And this one actually happened with my third child. I didn't really struggle with her, but the sitting was the issue. And for a long time, I think for about three to three or four months when she was two, she would sit, she would like squat on the table to eat. That's the only way she would eat. And I didn't want it to be a big issue. So we just let it be. Turns out it's cause her feet would not touch the ground. So we didn't have a high chair anymore. And she really wanted to be able to touch something solid to ground herself while she eats. So the table was the only way she could do that. Now we have a bench, so it's easier for her to sit. She's four. It's a lot easier. But at that stage, that's the only way she felt grounded enough to eat. And it wasn't a problem. And it was just like a three-month span. I knew she would still squat on the table. I didn't make it a big issue. And we've moved past that. And I just want to encourage mom. Sometimes it feels like this is taking way too long. It should change. It shouldn't be this way. But if you were just patient and focus on what are we trying to do here, right? What's the aim of sitting at the table? We want to eat. They're going to learn manners over time. Manners are not learned in two weeks. They're learned through the lifetime. So let's just like put that at the back of the board, at the back of the burner and just focus on what are we here to do? We're here to eat. We're here to connect. How can we do that? 
without all of the external voices and expectations. That's great. So do you have any, you brought up like, I'm going to put picky in quotes for picky eaters. Um, I know for me, I have one child that for years and years I labeled as a picky eater until I realized that me labeling him, even in my head as a picky eater, that it was doing so much damage for our relationship and it actually was making mealtimes worse. So I'd love to hear your thoughts here on how parents can help. And a note for parents, if you're calling your child a picky eater, you're not a bad mom. And it's, you know, it's something I would encourage you to think about if you wanted to change. It doesn't mean you're a bad mom. And it's a totally normal phrase that we have given to us in our society. Um, I would encourage you to change your thinking about it or, or at least you know, consciously consider if you want to continue using that word, but yeah. we may, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'm, picky. I'm going to put it in quotes, you know, picky eaters. I love how you said that because I always tell my clients and people who have listened to my podcast or heard me talk about picky eating, picky hearing quotes. I don't like that term picky eater. And like you said, it's a label. And I believe that our children live up to the labels that we place on them. So when you tell a child they're a picky eater, you have expectations of what a picky eater does. They don't sit at the table. They probably give you a hard time. They don't want to eat the foods you offer. That's the thinking that you're bringing into your engagement with this child. So guess what? You're going to treat them like a picky eater, right? And that child then thinks, well, I'm not going to eat because my mom thinks I'm a picky eater. My daughter, I actually learned this from my first child who heard me tell another mom oh, you know, your child is still discovering how to eat. You can just encourage her. And my daughter turns to me after the phone call and she goes, but you call me a picky eater. So that means I'm not going to eat. And that was the day I decided this label is off the table in our home. So what are some other ways that you can bring in, you know, a way to call them? They don't even need a name. What if you just say, okay, sometimes this is the way they act and that's okay. So like Emily said, you're not a bad mom. This is the label. Like we've heard this from dietitians and medical uh, practitioners. We've heard it all over the place. So it's normal to consider our children picky, but we can also make a shift when we know better, right? So that's just what I wanted to say about that label. Um, What I would say is if you have a child who maybe is experiencing challenges with eating, first things first, If you used to be this child, recognize that your history, your own experience is going to come up. So one thing you might notice is you either go to the extreme. So if you were considered picky as a child and your mom or parents forced you to eat, you might find yourself wanting to just leave the child to do whatever they want. So you've gone to the other end because you don't want to be like your mom. I have clients tell me this all the time. Or you might be the child who... Maybe your parents didn't force you. They just let you run, do whatever you wanted. And now you want to bring in some kind of order, but then you go to the extreme where you become very, you know, almost like a dictator or a food police. We don't want the extremes. We want to be in between. I love curiosity because this is always a big thing for us. If we can just come from that curious place. So one thing I teach people is think about grace. So this is my five-step process for simplifying mealtimes. Grace is the acronym. You wanna give grace. You wanna establish routine and structure. You also wanna allow for autonomy. You wanna consider, but don't cater. And you wanna exemplify. 
That's now we're going to go into that. Giving grace, simply what does that mean? You're going to let go of all the rules and expectations. You're going to come and meet yourself with grace. Also meet your child with grace, whatever that looks like for you. It might look like apologizing to your child. You know, I'm sorry that I've been trying to force these on you. I'm going to try and do differently. What does grace look like for you? Maybe you had a hard day and you were impatient at the table. Can you come up with compassion and just meet yourself and say, you know what? I really messed up today. It's okay. I forgive myself. Whatever grace looks like. Now we want to establish routine and structure. I always talk about safety with children. When a child does not understand when is food going to come? When are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? When they have all of those thoughts running in their brains, they tend to be a little bit more disruptive around mealtimes. So if you notice that your children are really struggling with this, you might want to establish a routine. It doesn't need to be this perfectly planned out meals that you have. You can just have a structure. Okay, what are we having, let's say, tomorrow? What would you like to eat? What sounds fun? Bring them into the planning of the food because then they get to see the work that goes into this. They feel like they're part of it. It gives them a sense of ownership into the food making decisions. What would you like to eat? Okay, are we an active family? Do we typically not get home until maybe eight o'clock at night? How can we plan the in-between, let's say after school and that eight o'clock or sports to make sure that someone has something to eat so they're not too hungry? You plan, figure out what structure works for you. What kinds of foods do your child does your child love to eat when they're in school? So for me, my child's school, they don't do lunches, so I have to do lunches. We've made decisions. We only have three things for lunch. It's got to be something with pasta, got to be something with potatoes, and then the other one is some kind of rice dish. That's it for lunch because I know they will eat those things. I never, ever give them something I think they won't eat at school. And I know when I, was, when I had my first job, people used to advise me, Oh, just give them the food you think they won't eat. Then when they see other kids eating, they'll want to eat. No, that sets the child up for disappointment at school. And then they'll probably come home hungry. Don't do that. Give them what they'll eat. And then when they're home within the structure of you sitting down or you being there to supervise, that could be a time to experiment and try different foods. So that's routine and structure. Next, you want to allow for autonomy. What did I talk about earlier? Children want to establish their autonomy. They want to know that they have the authority, they have control over their eating, and that's okay. Does that mean that you as a parent let go? No. Within the routine and structure, what can you allow them to do? Can you let them maybe wash some fruits? Could you let them cut up some things? Could you let them decide how much food they want to eat? A lot of us do this as moms. We think, oh, yesterday you had two scoops, so I'll give you two scoops today. And Johnny is like, nope, I want one. And you're like, no, but yesterday, no, no, no. We don't need to fight. If they want one, that's okay. Let them have one. If they want more, then you can offer that. Bring that into it. Now, here's where the picky eating comes in. Your child who wants autonomy as a picky eater, picky again in quotes, might want more support, but not in the way of you telling them what to do. They might want you to encourage them. Okay, I see you took that one. How was that for you? Tell me how I can make that 
more something that you want to eat all the time or most of the time? Did you like the texture? This is where our curiosity comes in. So we're not trying to say, well, I should give you this many scoops or whatever. We're trying to ask them questions around their eating experiences. They know you're paying attention and they can get to say what they need support with. And if that means I just want white rice for dinner every day, that's okay. Their bodies know how to get what they need. So if they eat the white rice, they'll just show up one day and be like, oh, I want this. Why? Because their body is craving a different kind of nutrient and their body knows how to get that for them. That's that one. Now see, consider, but don't cater. Again, what is your child's eating preference? Would they prefer fresh vegetables overcooked? How can you make that happen? Right? Because I, sh I shared my example of coming from Nigeria, most of our foods were mixed. They were not separated. But I've learned to separate dishes because I know that that's what my children want. I have a child. Every time I make fried rice with veggies, she doesn't want the veggies in there. What do I do? I make the fried rice and then she gets to take the veggies out. It's not a problem. When we make stir fry, there are some who don't want veggies. So then what do I do? I've adjusted the way I cook stir fry to make sure that I still make one dish, but I take out the noodles before I start putting the veggies and everything else, because some people just want noodles, right? Like how can you start to adjust your meals to consider their eating preference without catering? If they're a child who will not eat anything you offer, what if a sandwich is the fallback meal all the time? If they're not going to eat this, they can have sandwiches, but all the time they are involved. They don't go sit over there in a small table. They're sitting with you. You're inviting them. Would you like to try? Okay, that's fine, but you're welcome to try anytime. Still making them feel a part of the group is supportive. And then the last thing is just exemplify. And I'm gonna say here, for many of us moms, we want our children to not chat, uh, be struggling at the table, we want our children to have healthy relationships with food, but many of us struggle with food. Many of us struggle with trusting ourselves around how much to eat and what to eat. You need to be the example for your child. If you don't sit at the table to eat, if you're always just standing over the sink to eat, you're eating while we're driving, not really focusing on yourself when it's time for a meal, guess what? your child is learning the same thing. I had a friend who would complain, oh, my daughter, she's so disruptive. She just wants to eat while she's walking around. And I said, you know, she's just like you because that's how my friend eats. She does not want to sit at the table for a meal. She just wants to snack all day. And that's the same thing her daughter was doing. And she was getting irritated. I said, no, it's just like you. So if you want it to change, you have to be the change. So that's it. You give grace, routine and structure, allow for autonomy, cater, um, consider, but don't cater, and then exemplify. Those are so great. And I like this idea that like, it's okay if your mealtime looks different from someone else. And even we may, from what you're describing, like if my, I can think of a few of my boys, if at two years old, they were to sit, squat on the table to eat, they're so wiggly, they probably would have fallen off. And so like for us, that couldn't have been an option because of that safety piece there, but for you, it was fine. And so it worked for your family and that's great. And then for my family, maybe that wouldn't work and it's going to look different. And this is totally fine. 
like even though you're the food expert here that even not having it look exactly like yours but just taking the principles of understanding my child and meeting their needs I just love it it sounds like you're doing this too if I have a child that I think is going to have a problem with the meal it doesn't mean I can't cook that meal but it does mean I can set them up for success like I have one child that doesn't a lot of textures just feel very strange in his mouth like cooked zucchini and cooked onion and so I'll try to cut the onions either big or I'll I'll put them in the food processor so that there's no texture of onions and just the flavor and if I cut them big I let him know before the meal well sometimes I forget but if I (laughs) when things go well if I remember I'll tell him before the meal hey there's onions in here they're really big so you can pick them out if you don't like them and just put them on the side of your plate or if you don't want them on your plate can you grab another plate from the kitchen and put them on that plate or in that bowl or whatever he decides and um that has helped so much when he knows in advance instead of just having him sit down and I think to myself he can just learn to live with onions and then he sits down and he sees onions in his food and he has this prediction error start firing in his head like there's onions and I don't like onions and then we have this 40 minute meltdown and I'm sitting there going just get over it they're just onions just pull them out but I haven't considered all of this you know from his perspective and when I do and I stop and I pause, he's not trying to be bad. He just needs a little bit more support until he gets to the point where he can sit down at a meal and notice there's onions and know it's okay. I can pull these out on his own. Yes. It's a safety thing. And I love that example so much because for you as a parent, you don't see a problem, but for him, he probably has thoughts. He has his own mind about what a piece of onion means in his food. And that's where he asks from. So if we think about that ahead of time, I love how you say, you know, you give him the heads up if if you forgot or you blend it. That way we're giving him safety for now. Over time, he's gonna learn and maybe he won't. And I'm just gonna confess that I'm that person. I don't wanna see a big piece of onion in my food. I'm sorry, no. When my husband makes eggs, I'm like picking the onions out because I still struggle with the texture thing. And I'm okay with that. It doesn't mean I'm not going to eat. It's just like, there's a texture thing for me and I'm not going to, like, I've tried, it's not working. Let's just not deal with the onion. So I love that story that you shared. I like that. Um, I like that you're willing to admit that even as an adult, (laughs) but that you've learned to deal with it. So our goal isn't to force our children to eat the way we think they should eat. But I think the ultimate goal for me for my children is to learn to handle having that preference. Yes, yes. They learn to be competent with eating, which is probably something that we're going to chat about next. It's that competence piece that is so important. Why? Because they can show up at a party and be like, you know what? I don't like onions. Please, can you give me something else? Or they can ask the waiter, are there onions in this? Yes. Okay. Maybe I don't want that food, right? This that you're teaching him translates to that. If he chooses not to like onions versus we keep forcing and then he never gets to express himself. And then he shows up as a 20 something year old at a party and there's onions and he's freaking out. And everyone's like, well, it's just an onion. Why is he so mad? It's because he never got the chance to feel safe enough to understand how he wants to relate with onions. Hmm. 
I like this. Do you have any other tips with the, the competent eater? How can parents raise competent eaters? I think that we're all doing a great job. I think we just need to recognize as parents, it's not easy to raise other humans who might challenge you when it comes to mealtime. So everyone just like take a moment to recognize like your child is still alive. They're still here. You've done an awesome job. Now, when it comes to competent eating, this is a term that's coined by Ellen Satter and you can Google her. I love her work when it comes to children and adults with food. And her work is all about equipping people with skills to be relaxed, to trust themselves, to feel joyful around eating, to enjoy foods no matter what, and just meet themselves at that place where they feel good around eating. So when we start thinking about this as parents, we want to create a safe environment for our children. That's the biggest piece of eating. You want them to feel safe, just like everything we've talked about here. How can you be that parent? Maybe that could mean you getting support with your own relationship with food and your body. I've done that with many of my clients. And at the end of the day, the, day, the issues with the children just go away because now they're feeling safe and grounded and their children can sense that. So maybe you need to get support. And if not, what else can you do? Can you recognize that your child just needs you to come alongside them and learn from them and be curious? How can you bring more of that into your home? Then this one tends to trigger a lot of people. You have to drop the good versus bad food thinking. Neutralize all foods in your home. And I know it's a, this could be like another podcast episode but you, we get to be in this place where food is just food. We don't shame food. We don't bring any sense of morality into food because this is what our children are going to learn and take with them. You're not always going to have be around your kids to see what they're eating. But when you teach them to neutralize foods, then they can decide what they want to eat, how much they want to eat for themselves, not because this is what my mom told me or my dad or my caregiver. So neutralizing foods. And then finally, use the five-step process that I sh shared, the grace structure when it comes to mealtimes. And at the end of the day, we all just want to be the best moms that our children want. And we're that already. So always go back to how am I raising a competent eater? Your brain might want to say, well, I don't know. And you want to ask, what if I did know? Because you're going to start recognizing the little ways that you're already doing that. And you get to celebrate that. The more you celebrate and do that, the more you feel confident, the more you feel encouraged to try doing more. And I think it's so much easier to come from this angle than thinking there's a problem that needs to be fixed and I have to fix that. Oh, this is so good. This is all so good. I am thrilled that you were able to join us today. and. I'm sure some of our listeners will want to connect with you. Where can they find you? Absolutely. Uh, you can find me on the Thriving Mom podcast. That's my podcast that airs every Sunday. Or you come find me on Instagram or Facebook. I'm at Olive and Bliss Wellness. And if you just put that in, you can find me. I'd love to connect. And of course, I will put that in the show notes. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us today, We May. Thank you, Emily, for having me. This was fun. 
Want more confidence in handling your child's meltdowns? Well, my Why Is My Child Melting Down cheat sheet and mini training was made with you in mind. In just 10 minutes, you could be well on your way to better understanding your child's big emotions and behaviors so you can know how to better help them thrive. And did I mention this is free? Yep. Get your copy at enlighteningmotherhood.com forward slash freebies. And of course, the link is in the show notes.